yeah, so the whole the seemingly small microaggressions, there's a phrase called death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned um, that I've largely from listening to my my friends who herald from historically marginalized groups, it's not the one instance. It's the instance after instance after instance after instance after instance after instance that has you ultimately cover, compromise, shift, change, adjust, which takes a lot of energy um, and and eventually may have you pick up your things and and, and go somewhere else. And so mm. that it, just to speak to that, you know, mm. for people that like myself who have a lot of privilege, I try to become aware of other people's experiences and then I can make a conscious choice. How do I want them to experience me? What choices can I make to level the, the playing field? And the only way that that really works, Ashanti, is when I take off my mask and I'm vulnerable and I go first because then it makes it possible for them to do the same. There's a little bit of dissonance at first because this six foot four white guy is talking about his feelings and he's being vulnerable. There's an initial does not compute <laughs> initially. And then when no one's looking around, that very same guy may come up and say, hey, well, I like what you said. Could I talk to you for a second? <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time that happened, I'd have a lot of dollars. <laughs> Taking off the mass podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch. And I'm really glad you joined us. Listen, I'm super excited to be back in the studio, <laughs> my office, and I'm also super excited that um, I get to announce today's non-sponsor sponsor. Today's guest is Ray Arada, and listen, Ray is the author of a book called Showing Up: How Men Can Become More Effective Allies in the Workplace. I think that's so powerful. Um, in today's conversation with Ray Arada, uh, we talk about where we kind of know each other from, where we connected, the work that he does in the workplace, him recognizing that his uh, body, the person that he is, has a lot of privilege, and he's using that privilege to be an ally. When Ray and I really first started connecting, uh, around 2013-14, I had just joined the Mankind Project, and we sat on a multicultural circle together for a couple of years. And that was a really powerful connection, not only with him. This is as he was in the early stages of building the Better Man Conference. And I'm super excited to see his work growing and to see the connection continuing to flourish. But also what I'm really excited about is that we right now in this movement of the Million Mask Movement, of Ever Forward Club, we are pushing forward towards May 28th and 29th. And if you're not aware what Memorial Day weekend is for Ever Forward, um, it is our annual community building fundraising project. This year's 24-hour relay will be a 5K challenge. And as you can see, I got two shirts behind me. I got from the 12th annual 24-hour relay. That's from the 14th annual right there. And now we're at number 18. And this is the first time we've gotten together in two years since 2019. Actually, almost three years now. So I'm really excited about what we're going to create this year. And um, you don't have to come anywhere for the 5K challenge. You don't have to go anywhere special. You can participate 
from anywhere in the world that you are. So take a look at our website. You can get more information. You can register. Let's say you don't want to do a 5K. Now, listen, you don't have to run for this 5K. You can walk, run, hike, bike, swim. You can scoot. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, you can be a part. But let's say you just want to help Ever Forward Club. We are raising awareness about teen wellness, and we're raising funds so we can continue doing the work. Um, I've shared with you some great news over the last couple of weeks about where we were. We were in Arizona, then we were at South by Southwest, and a lot of momentum is happening towards our work right now. And so I just want to thank you all for being a part of this. Thank you for listening to this episode, and please share it with someone. And if you haven't yet made your mask, you can do that at 100. Actually, (laughs) we have a new website. You can do that at millionmask.org, millionmask.org. Thank you. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things happening in the next couple of weeks. I'm excited to be sharing with you. So stay tuned. Any men that you know in the community, any young men who you think would be a powerful voice in these conversations, please introduce them to us. We love talking to men from all over the world about our masks. So thank you for being here today. We look forward to seeing you soon. And we look forward to you being not only a part of the Million Mask Movement, but a part of our 18th annual 24-hour 5K challenge. Thank you so much for being a part of this movement with us, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad you joined us today. Uh, Today's guest is Ray Arata. I am so glad to have this conversation. Ray and I have known each other um, for several years now um, through some men's work and through this work with supporting men in the world in lots of ways. Um, so welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you, Ashanti. It's good to be here once again in yet another format in this virtual world we're temporarily living in. I can't wait to see you and give you a big hug. Yeah, man. I can't wait till we have a real studio. Like right now, <laughs> this is the studio. You got a about that size of window right there. That's all the studio is. Is but soon we'll have a studio with a table in the middle. I'm excited, I'm looking forward to that moment too, as well. Man, um, how about you just tell folks about yourself? What what things you want people to know about you as we begin this conversation? Uh, what things are you um working on in the world? And and then uh, we'll jump in, yeah. Thanks for that. So, um, what comes to heart and mind first is that I'm a heart centered man, that's what I want you to know that I'm connected to um bringing my gifts to support men to be better. And this comes from me doing my own men's weekend in 1999 with the Mankind Project. That's where I met you. Um, That had me um, go through an initiation, a healthy initiation, uh, to understand how the pained little boy in me was driving the adult bus and that it was impacting people around me. And so... Once I did that and I joined a men's group and you and I actually sat in a, uh, a multicultural men's group for a little bit, um, it was like going to the emotional gymnasium because life comes at you all the time and one weekend is not going not gonna to do it, just like a book just not going to do it. And so unbeknownst to me, um, that set me on a journey to amass almost 15,000 hours of working with men, including prison work. And ultimately taking all this men's work stuff and translating it into the corporate space under the auspices of allyship 
and inclusionary leadership to combat sexism, racism, and all the other isms. Um, underneath all of that speak, I'm a healer. And um, I've dedicated my life to this, this work. So, and I'm a father and a husband and a good ex-husband and a cyclist <laughs> and a cook. I love to cook. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's awesome to describe it. I think you're the first person who described like in, in that way, like the, a lot of more of the well-rounded parts, right? Like the, I think those are so important to our being. Right. And I think yeah. normally the conversation stays in that part. Yeah. Family, food, hobbies. And in these conversations, what we get to do is we get to go deeper. I mean, I think we men who are a part of men's circles or a part of men's organizations, they know what that is like. Um, but they also recognize that there's so much more to them. Yeah. So much more to each of us, right? Yeah. And I think one of the things that we have come to recognize in our in our work with the mask is that um the quicker we get to those conversations, I think the quicker that we begin to recognize that there's so much more to each of us Yes. than we can see by just looking at us, right? There's so much more. Um, I was with, yeah, so I think that's what it's about. So, you know, our, their guest leads the show, and one of the things that we get to do is we we made a mask before, yeah. and um, I the first mask I made, I lost on this messy desk of mine, so I had to make one just now. You saw me making a new one. Um, and is even more, you know, present in this present moment of, of where we are. So you get to decide who goes first. I'll go first. Decide. I'll go okay. first. All right. Fantastic. So, um, here's the mask. I'm a okay. horrible artist and my mom, um, was an artist and the words I put down here are happy, grounded, calm, and present. That's, mm. that's what, um, I like to show and what I attempt to show nice. initially. Okay. Awesome. But for the harder stuff, the, the stuff that is lurking underneath. Oh, you you want to go back? You want to go front and back both? Okay. okay or actually, you, you tell me. I'll oh, follow. Is that good? No, no, no. It, it, we let the guests decide. You can go front and then back, and then I'll do front and back, and then we go yeah. from there. So, okay. so underneath that veneer, yeah. because I can do that veneer pretty good, it's authentic, but sometimes it hides stuff. So yeah. what I don't want you to see is that I'm afraid that I sometimes feel like I'm not enough or that I'm alone. Mm. Yeah. We bring that a little closer so we can see, see the word. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Who we, I didn't draw a picture for that. No, no. <laughs> yeah. We, not, not one needed on that one. Not one needed on the back. I thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for those. Thank you for talking about the veneer, the facade, the mask. I mean, what we're what we're talking about in this work is is that work. And so, all right, here we go. <laughs> and and I, and I kind of want to add a word here too, but I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna add it as I talk about it. Um, so here's the front, here's the front of the mask, and uh, serious, that's the, that's, that's dedicated, hardworking, serious, dedicated, hardworking. I think that is. Hardworking has been my MO since I was seven, probably before, but at seven is when my uncle said, you're the man of the house. And at seven, I was supposed to already knew or know what it meant to be a man. I was supposed to be taking care of siblings. I was supposed to know what it meant to be tough and strong and not show. I began to learn how to put on that emotional mask that my needs don't matter. They're not really that important. What's important is taking care of my sister, my brother, and 
taking care of my mom and helping take care of the house and making job easier for her. And and it began that that messaging subconsciously, not really from her ever saying, don't tell me your problems or don't tell me what you're going through. But I could always tell she was always tired and always exhausted and always on the edge of like some explosion, right? Emotionally. And so I was like, well, I'll just keep it to myself. Whatever I'm going through in school, whatever I'm happening over here, you know, situation with friends, I just kept it to myself. So those are the things that I, I think the hardworking, and I think because I'm serious all the time, like I really like to laugh. I like to have fun. I like to, I laugh a lot more by myself than I do in public, you know, with others. I, I crack myself up. I'll hear some joke and I'll be like, ha, ah, that's so funny. And then like when I get into the office, I'm like, boom. And I'm like, what's this do, 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 do. Yeah. And I'm learning how to like, take a breath, Ashanti. You can, you can laugh at work. You can laugh, right? Like, but because I got my dreams are so big, sometimes it makes it hard. And I think it, uh, the one, the word I don't, I, di- I didn't put on this one, which I, I totally am. And I want to show more of, I, I'm doing my best to show more of it. It's how caring I am. I think, mm, I, I think I'm a really wow. caring person. I actually, deep down, all of this hard work is because I care so much. Yeah. Me working to try and build this organization is rooted in me caring a lot. So anyway, that's the front. Um, the back now. Serious, dedicated, hardworking, man. And the back, <laughs> how ironic that this happened today. Okay, so here's the back that I just came up with right here. Overloaded. Overloaded. Warrior, warrior <laughs> versus warrior. Like I, I'm being more of a warrior right now than I am a warrior. And um, and my, my brother's in jail. And I think, I think right now just a lot going on just life-wise. Um, you know, feeling like I got this trip to South by Southwest coming up. My mom's health is having issues. Like she apparently had a, I was out of town. She had a surgery yesterday. She never told me about it. So I found out yesterday <laughs> that she j- just got out of surgery. I'm like, huh? What? What's what's going on? And so then as I'm talking to her, my, my godson calls me in jail. He's bipolar, but he's not getting his medicine at this new jail he's at. So he's flipping out and he's causing, he's starting to cause problems there, which is going to get him more time. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to help him, but he's an adult. How do I, how do you help somebody who's having a mental break in a prison system that kind of really doesn't care about you? And you're also like, he he's calling for help, right? You can hear it in the phone, like him spinning. Yeah. And um, wow. Hit me. And, and the fact that my brother is in jail it also just exacerbates that because, you know, I'm I was I'm the older brother and I I love my brother. He had, he my brother also has mental he has schizophrenia, so he is in a in a tough spot right now. So I, I as much as things are going really good in the, in the work ever forward, life is still hitting in so many ways, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and I think uh, that's when that's when it starts feeling like a overload. So um, thank you for that, Ashanti. Um and when you shared the front of the mask, it made me think a little bit more. And I just got an insight. You know, I said, happy, grounded, calm, and present. And I realized um, the truth is what I want, what I am is welcoming. But the happy piece is what I saw my mom do 
with the fake smile. She was projecting fake happiness and I was picking up discord. So I'm realizing that that's where I learned to use my seducer. Um, uh, and it's not authentic. Um, and given that I'm the oldest of three kids, I needed, at least I thought I needed to keep it together. Somebody had to keep it together. So I guess I had to keep it together, which meant there was no room for me to not be grounded, not be calm. And then the last piece present, I think what's more true is safe. Safe. So, and I have a brother who, um, that kind of tugs at my heart who really needs to do the men's weekend. And he's, he's about to be homeless and he's living downstairs with my dad and he's got four kids and one of the kids had a kid and he just doesn't know how to show up and be a dad. And him and I grew up in the same room in the same house, with the same parents. That's that's a powerful one. And thank you for sharing about your brother too. I think, um, you know, as older as oldest, I don't know if this is common with every oldest. Um, the idea is that, yeah, why is my brother struggling with so many things? And, and I I don't want him to have to struggle with those things. Right. I mean, I was the first, like I went, I went to college. I tried to set an example for my siblings. My brother didn't, that wasn't the route he wanted to, you know, wasn't his call. Right. But it also wasn't his call to really do much positive. You know, it was constantly a a battle. It was constantly a battle. And I was like, I love my brother. And I think, you know, his first, you know, incarceration situation happened when I, I think he went to jail. I think I was in college, maybe right before. And I remember every summer, my mom wanted to load us all up in a van and drive over to this program, the Rites of Passage program over in Nevada. I mean, it's like, that's a long drive. I, I don't even like driving to, I don't like driving an hour to San Jose. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I. I don't. I, I, if I only only get in the car when I need to go somewhere, like the car is, I love, I love it. But even when I, when I was in high school, my friends would be like, "Let's go driving." I'm like, "Where are we going?" They're like, "Oh no, let's just go driving around." I'm like, "Why would anybody do that? Why would you just go? Why would you just go drive? Why would you just go drive around if you have nowhere to go?" Like, and I and still to this day, I'm like, "Hey, where am I going? I'm going here, there, right?" People would be in the car. They're like, "Oh, let's just go wander and meander around." And so even like knowing having to go visit him and as a young kid being irritated a lot of time trying to like be fake find the way to be happy so i can make my mom happy but deep down i didn't want to go i don't want to go i don't want to go see him locked up i didn't want to go be driving that lunch i didn't want any of that but knowing that sometimes we do what we have to do even if it doesn't maybe feel good right even if it's not deeply in the in 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 our soul that i'm doing this because i want to but maybe I'm doing it because I need to, or I feel I feel I have to, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that the work. I mean, ironically, I put warrior versus warrior, right? That this is we talk about MKP, the new warrior training adventure. You know, like how many times have men come to those spaces and realize it's difficult, it's challenging, yeah. it's it's hard work, it's hard work to face what you have not faced before or have been unwilling to face right? right and i think some men could think that well this is wrong because you're making me talk about something i don't want to talk about well no one's forcing you to talk about anything you may feel the pressure because you see how willing other men are and now you're feeling you're feeling the pressure but maybe you're 
calling it being forced, but, <laughs> and I think how often times that when I meet young men who come into Ever Forward Club, who've never been asked, like, how you doing for real? Like, like you say good, cool, fine, okay, but tell me more about that word. What does that word mean, yeah. right? Or where are you hurting? Where are you hurting? Where are you aching? Oh, man. We, we, that, that, that's, like, that's like week eight. You, you can't even get to where you're hurting until you can get to how you're doing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, can't even get, I can't even get to clear how you're doing. We, to ask you how you're hurting is be like, that's a, that's a fight waiting to happen, right? It's an yeah. emotional fight, you know, verbal fight waiting to happen, right? That's true. Um, but I think that's, but you're right. Those are even more important questions, right? Yeah. I'm hurting. Man, I ain't hurting. Or, I ain't eventual, talking about, or eventual questions. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm I'm tough. I don't hurt. I I think the other day, where where did that come from? I, some something came the other day. Um, oh, I forgot. I'm not remembering who said it. But it was it was a youngster, and they were like, "Man, what?" I forgot how they got mad. They got mad about something. They got mad about some question they got asked. Yeah. But the idea was, I'm like, so does that? How 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 are you? What was making you upset? What about that question making you upset? And they were like. Well, you all, you kind of all up in my business. And I'm like, well, I mean, everyone else is answering it. We're not, we're not like pointing you out to be the only one who answers it. We're right. kind of going around the circle with our check-in, right? Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. What, what about that question is getting you so fired up? Because don't answer the question. Forget the question. Tell me about the feeling about the question. Because some, something is even just the hearing the question they have got you already riled up. And I've told you, you don't have to answer it. But you keep saying that you're being forced to answer something. And I think it's that pressure that we get. And I think deep down, as humans, we want to connect, right? Right. I mean, I think, and when we find a space that other people are connecting, maybe it just makes it harder for us to know that, oh, yeah, my my stuff matters too. Yeah. On an unconscious level, these young men, this is my story, uh, have a a made-up story, unconscious and unconscious, about the risk of being vulnerable Mm. based on probably family trauma and so their experience of sharing their business or being truthful is associated with some prior hurt thank you yeah um so um yeah so yeah i said i just wanted to say that because i was imagining what i would have done if if that if i was in the presence of that young man i would like say it's okay it's okay that you're reluctant, you know, to, to, to share. And I'm just trying to connect with you. Yeah. I'm trying to hurt you. Yeah. Not and imagine, I mean, I think about that. Think about that part. Like you said, it's okay to, to feel what you feel. It's okay to, to know that there's some more going on with you. It's okay to recognize how deeply that you've been taught that you can't show those feelings, right? Yeah. And when we get to a place, yesterday, um, just this um, this past uh, week, I was in uh, Yuma, Arizona, San Luis. It's a border town, and in that space, um, we had a workshop at a, a, a alternative school. So, alternative schools could be uh, students that were having either a difficult time in regular schools, they were having uh, challenges with how. Um, schools worked or they just needed to make up some extra credits and they needed another learning environment. So it's a smaller school, but it was about 80, 60, 70 students in the room. And uh, we got to this one part where I was asking, how many of you have ever said, um, you know, when you ask people ask how you're doing, you say, I'm good, fine, or okay. And 
and a lot of them raised their hand. I said, how many of you ever lied before and said you were good when you weren't good? You weren't good. A lot of them raised their hand. And I said, uh, can somebody tell me why you would do that? And one young man raised his hand. And I was like, okay, go ahead, you. And he put his hand back down. And I'm like, and I think he either either didn't quite fully understand the question or he was thinking it was just another affirming question. And I was like, oh, but, but tell me, tell me, why, why do you do it? And he was like, and so there was a couple of chuckles in the room. But I could tell, like, his hand went up for a reason. I said, you, had, you so I walked over. I walked over. And the room was still kind of people were talking. And I remember I always have a dance to play when I'm in a room. And I, and I'm, what I know where I'm dealing with, like, some older students or whatever, I'll always come with 100% respect. Yeah. There's a moment where I sometimes I have to, like, um, be really clear about how that, how their behaviors are affecting others. And I said, I need you all to stop talking. I said, he raised his hand for a reason. He has something to say. But so many of you want to be heard right now, yet you're not raising your hand to speak. You just want to be talking to the person next to you. And I walked over to him. I got on one knee right in front of his table in front. And I said, um, he's trying to talk. But some of you are so busy wanting to be heard that you're not even listening. Yep. And I think what happened in the room, the room just went into a, a pause, it right? It dropped. And I, it, do, it did. And I, and I was like... I want to hear what he has to say. I said, and I talked about respect and the idea of like helping each other and like how often, how often have we, where do we learn the behavior that, that my things matter more than other people. So therefore I should just keep on talking and talking, talking, talking. And I remember finally like standing there in front of him. I said, um, so tell me brother, thank you for being willing to raise your hand. I said, um, and what is it? Why, why do you say you're fine when you're not fine? And he just, heartfelt like heartfelt he just like started talking about and you could see him feeling and i wanted to i knew that if i was in a room with him by myself he would he would have broken down crying oh yeah (laughs) but i also know that he's in a room with his peers so my job is somehow how do i protect him Mm -hmm. but also give him a full affirmation you know and so i said i see you brother i see you i looked him in the eye i see you and i saw his eyes welling up and i just said okay i gotta shake your hand and he gave me his hand i said i'm here for you no and it was that moment of like the class was you could hear a pin drop in the moment, but he, and I, there were other people around the room also starting to feel. You saw people kind of wiping their eyes, and it was like, how often have we wanted to be heard, but we judged based on how other people responded, and we just basically didn't let our our needs get met. And I think that that for that young man, uh, he came back at the end at the end, so it was really beautiful. But I think those are the pieces that we try and play in making sense of it, like giving people that space, you know. Yeah, we people I mean to to hear them is to love them, mm-hmm. and that's one of the biggest gifts that that we can give. And people don't know how to ask for that, and a lot of times from you know their upbringing, it's not safe. So they're they've got that shield, mm-hmm. not just a mask, but a shield. Yeah, because the last time that they were vulnerable, they may have gotten hurt. Yeah. So yeah. kudos to him for taking that risk. That was courageous. Well, it, it is. I mean, it's it's exactly what he. I think he needed it, and the teacher at the end came up and said, "Yeah, he he definitely needed that opportunity. He needed that connection that he hadn't had." Yeah. And I think the right. So so let me ask you this: as you are doing this work now, as it being your your life's mission, mm-hmm. like, and, I, and, I, and we don't normally ask, this is just a question connected to the work. So, how do you see? the support of helping businesses, people in business, men in business, 
uh, people in organizations that are trying to make it more equitable. How do you see these masks showing up? How do how do you, as a practitioner in this work, as a as a as a as an author, right? But say like the book is a, a, a part of your work, right? So how do you see it in play in these organizations? The so, masks. So the I, what I see uh, in work and in communities is that most men are unconscious and they are borrowing from an old playbook of what it means to be a man. So there's a command and control patriarchal my way or the highway uh, way of being inside corporate America. And, and because men often aren't feeling the pain of microaggressions the way that women and people of color and any marginalized person feels, they're unaware. And so we, we continue and visit upon others what was visited upon us. So it's a huge lack of awareness that anything besides us is going on and other people having other experiences. So that lack of awareness perpetuates behavior that was much more tolerated with that is much less tolerated. And so now, um, given the fact that we've had Time's Up me Too, COVID, Black Lives Matter movement, they've all formed what I call the perfect storm that has shined the light on the majority, men. And so, as Tony Porter said, you know, why is it that this huge group of men allow this little minority of men to control the narrative, the bad apples, the ones, the predators, the ones that uh, sexually harass, the ones that are racist, etc.? And so right now, a lot, the majority, a lot of men are going, what do I do? I don't want to be associated with that. I want to be a good person. And because of that, um, these, all of these men are learning and wanting to learn how to take off the mask that has not been serving them. So, you know, when we had you do this at one of our Better Man conferences, I remember looking in the chat and seeing man after man after man talk about what a relief it was to take the mask off and to reveal and to be witnessed, right? That's that's healing in it before our very eyes. And I believe those very same men in corporate, they have fathers. They were little boys in the schoolyard, just like you're talking about when we were younger. And some of them grow up with pain unexamined, with pain unhealed. And so they might revisit that in the form of bullying. Um, I have a number of assignments right now where I'm an ally to women of color and uh, a particular white woman who is at the affect of a bunch of men. And they need me to support them and or to stand up to them and or to find allies in their organization to change the narrative. And I wonder even when, when you find those ways that people are reaching out and they're, they're, they're talking about this. I mean, I think that in the workplace, I think you talk about microaggression is a really powerful word. I think um, how often are the the small, subtle things that are seemingly no big deal, right? To one group or one person or one entity, like how they are, they land in so many different ways and others and not having a way or a place or a, the experience of like, how do I navigate what I'm feeling around this this situation? You know, how do I navigate what this thing means to me, you know? So 
and I think that, you know, as we're, you know, talking about our own masks, because this all starts with each person being willing to confront that, that here's how I'm experiencing the world here is not, not, I can't always control the way the world experiences me. I do get to control the fact that I'm showing parts of myself and there's also parts of myself that I'm not showing. And I think that when we get clear about that, then we probably also get clear that, oh, there's parts of other people that I'm seeing and parts of other people that I'm not. But, yeah, so the whole, the seemingly small microaggressions, there's a phrase called death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned um, that I've largely from listening to my my friends who herald from historically marginalized groups, it's not the one instance It's the instance after instance after instance after instance after instance after instance instance that has you ultimately cover, compromise, shift, change, adjust, which takes a lot of energy um, and and eventually may have you pick up your things and and go somewhere else. And so that just to speak to that, you know, for people that like myself who have a lot of privilege. I try to become aware of other people's experiences and then I can make a conscious choice. How do I want them to experience me? What choices can I make to level the the playing field? And the only way that that really works, Ashanti, is when I take off my mask and I'm vulnerable and I go first because then it makes it possible for them to do the same there's a little bit of dissonance at first because this six foot four white guy is talking about his feelings and he's being vulnerable. There's an initial does not compute (laughs) initially. And then when no one's looking around that very same guy may come up and say, Hey, well, I like what you said. Could I talk to you for a second? If I had a dollar for every time that happened, I'd have a lot of dollars, (laughs) you know, and I think that's, you know, and what we do in these workshops, I think that's beautiful, right? Like some sometimes they, they're like, oh wait, this is getting really real. This is this is something different than what I've seen before. This is not like some other talk that I was forced to go to exactly. that made me show up and like this is something something new and different. And so for some people, it's gonna attract them and some people it will repel them, right? Because they're not yet ready to navigate the world in that way right and i think that's important for us as well um you know part of these part of these conversations is how do we begin to give people and since you do this work on a regular basis like where are the layers where are the, where are the are you are you currently in an i group men's circle space yeah, yeah so okay. there's i'm an avid cyclist and one other gentleman that did the men's week and said there's a couple guys who are who cycle with us that have been quietly voicing some curiosity about maybe doing this men's weekend. What do you think about starting a little circle? And I thought about it. I'm like, okay. And then I thought of two other guys, and these guys are eating it up. So we meet twice a month, and then I, I meet with a couple of other guys um, who are leaders in the Mankind Project. And so we do it pretty regularly. So, you know, for your listeners – there's a lot of places they, they can go to. They can, you know, they can check out the Mankind Project for, they can, you know, my earlier book, Wake Up, Man Up, Step Up, Transforming Your Wake Up Call to Emotional Health and Happiness is a pure men's work book. 
if if the your listeners are in a company and they're in this current um, awareness around being an ally or being an inclusive leader, they can get my my new book called Showing Up: How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace, and that they're both on Amazon. So, um, and if they want, they can go to showinguppbook.com because if you buy the book through that through that landing page, you get a free ticket to the Better Man Conference, a virtual ticket that Ashanti has participated at and led the whole group through an exercise. Yeah, say say more about that. Like, so um, I, I think that's really important for people to know, and I think one of the things that in these conversations we want people to do is to be able to have a place where they can process okay where can i get more information about this where can i get more information for those who are business owners who are and companies who have some ability to propose or even initiate change um come to the better man conference in in in, uh in san francisco in november or in new york on june 2nd it's a great place to enter into a safe space with other men and other people to learn, to feel, to be inspired, to act. It's a great starting place. That That's why, you know, I wrote the book. So for some people, the book is a great place to start. For others, going to a conference is another. Get coached. There's a whole, there's a whole slew of possibilities. But that would be uh, a place to, to check out for sure. One of the the things I experienced in the conference, and then when I participated online virtually, it was uh, a U.S. based one, and there was one in Europe. There was a a U.K. based one, right? So, um, I think it's always really um, it's kind of always been impactful for me when I talk to people about you know I'm coming to that community, and they're like, well. I'm not sure if, uh, if I know it works where you are, but I don't know if it will work where we are. And I'm like, well, I mean, unless you got the people, and they're, they're not, unless they're human, if they're human, it's going to work. If they're <laughs> if they don't claim to be human, it may not work. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I only I work that, with humans. I oh, that's the only category that I can work with right now. You know, my alien, I haven't got my alien card yet, um, but I do know some teenagers. You operate like they're not fully human. You're like, what is going on with you, right? Like the other day, we had a group. Um, and I think that my vision is how do we create this kind of same spaces for young men? And I think one of the things that we're going to be probably doing this next season is creating a, a, a youth conference, because I think that what I think needs to happen is we need to start earlier. Yeah. We need to start before they have like already entered the workforce and have now indoctrinated these behaviors and these attitudes that are, they don't really, really agree with, but that they feel are what they should agree with because everyone else does. But they can start earlier coming into the workforce saying, here are the things that I, I believe, right? Here are the things that I, my values. Here are the company I want to work for because their values match the things that I want to see in the workplace. And I think that's really important, you know? Yeah. One of the things I'm noticing, and I got this, I started this work in terms of being an advocate for women. Um, but what I now, what I've come to learn is when women view men my age, the men in leadership, they're like, we're not that we're the enemy, but we're not exactly the partners that they need us to be. Um, and so there's a paradigm shift that needs to occur there. And then there's the younger men, the earlier generation, the younger generations who are looking at guys my age, and they're also going, I don't want to be like that. So there's, to me, there's plenty of reasons why uh, guys my age need to shift and do their part 
to create a truly inclusive culture so that those younger men can come into our orgs because we need them. But they don't want any part of what they may have if they've been raised in somewhat of a unconscious toxic environment. They want something better. Yeah. I think it's our work to try and make it better for them. Um, maybe the last thing is, you know, one of the things that we are trying to do in, in the work of the Million Mask Movement, but also in the work of Ever Forward, and I think that when you think of the conference called the Better Man Conference, um, are there are there just men there? No, there's men and women and everybody who doesn't identify. We've had trans folk come. We've had those that don't identify in the binary spectrum. Um, even my father, who at the time was 84 years old, a retired judge, we had a breakout f- to explore masculinity through the lens of men, through the lens of women, and then through the lens of people that don't identify as either. Um, and my father said to me, he came to the conference, he says, I think I'm going to go to that other one because I need to learn more. So... I initially thought, oh, this will be a conference just for men. And then I quickly realized that, no, there's huge benefit for everybody coming. And yeah. I've maintained that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, when we think about the teaching profession, I think the teaching profession is 75% women. And I think that yeah. um, our students don't match that demographic. And if we don't have educators who know how to teach boys and young men, we're going to continue having schools that don't serve young men well. Um, and I think that um, there's Michael Gurian in his work, always his, his book that I remember the, the most, I remember lots of his books, but boys and girls learn differently. Yep. And I think that even for students who don't identify in the binary, there's certain biological things that are part of our brain waves and brain design. But how do we make sure that we are making sure that our educators you know, not only in the work fate, in the workplace, but translating this back into our schools and education. How do we make sure that we're making schools well for all students who are showing up in those schools? You know, yeah. I think that's really and they're, they're not getting paid, but they have to be there. They're, their pay is their grades. Right. Yeah. So it's but it's also equity in so many different ways. Right. You know how I get treated, how I get expectations. So, man, you know, one of the things that I hope that we continue doing in this work is continue meeting people who are doing this work in big ways. So how about this? How about you tell folks how they can get in touch with you or how they can follow you? You, you mentioned the both books. We'll put all these in the, in the show notes, but where are the ways, like you mentioned the better man conference coming up in um, November. And June. Um, and June. But, so there's a couple June. places that June, 2023, right? Yeah. June okay. 2nd, actually. So if you go to uh, www.bettermanconference.com, Sign up for the newsletter. I think you got to scroll down to the bottom. We, I write blogs, um, and we'll be having a showing up series once a month, kind of like our Getting Real series where we had you on once, Ashanti. Um, and that keeps people informed about what's coming down the pike. Um, you can also go to rayarata.com, which is a little bit more background on me and my speaking, uh, the book, et cetera, testimonials. So those would be the two places. Um, Facebook and Twitter, I'm on there. Um, but in terms of getting information, you know, those two places would be the best place. Great. And just just for for the audience who were hearing it, but you went kind of fast. The first book was the name of the first book. Wake up, man up, step up. Transforming your wake up call to emo- emotional health and happiness. And 
the current book that just was published in January is Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. All right. Yeah. Well, look, um, is there any last words you want to say to folks out there as we as we close and as they think about their own life, workplace, around these masks and then uh it's uh i'm I'm gonna be a little playful here i remember seeing a show on oprah with michelle obama and they both leaned forward and they said to the men be better (laughs) right and so so be better and uh help me grow this movement um tell your friends about the book tell your friends about the conference Put yourself on the path to becoming an ally, a better man, a better person. It'll make the world a safer place. Yes, it will. Well, thank you, Ray, for being a part of the Taking Off the Mask podcast. Thank you for being a part of this work. Uh, I'm glad that our, our our paths continue to cross and connect um, as you know you continue following your passion and as I get to continue having these conversations with men all over the world around these masks and giving them more space to not have to feel like they're stuck behind them, you know? Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Shanti. Thank you so much, man. Well, thank you for being a part of the show. And folks, if you want to make a mask, you can do that at one. Actually, we have a new website. Actually, this is really exciting. Millionmask.org. Millionmask.org. You can go and make a mask. We have a new site that it just got launched like a week ago. Um, we hope that you will make a mask anonymously. Ray and I share our mask publicly here. We invite you to go ahead and make your mask and share it. And if you get inspired, share it with somebody you love, somebody who loves you, um, and begin to find ways of having these deeper conversations. I think is so important. So uh, thank you for being a part of the show today, and we'll see you soon, folks. Taking Off The Mask podcast is produced by Ryan Louie. Editing, videography is also by Ryan Louie. Graphics by Kelly Wong. And a special thanks to the team at Ever Forward, Vanessa Cortez and Kevin Romero. And I'd like to thank everyone who's been a part of the creation of this podcast. As we hit this one-year anniversary, we hope that everyone who's been a part knows that they're a part of the Taking Off The Mask experience. And we look forward to you being a part of it as well. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe, and share. And we look forward to us continuing to offer conversations that matter. Take care. See you soon.